Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today we are studying the seventh parak of Melachim Bed, which tells a very powerful and very exciting story. Last parak, as we know, Aram laid a punishing siege on Shomron, and the people of the city are starving. The king sent an officer to Elisha. He sends him there initially to kill Elisha, but the officer ends up pleading with Elisha begging him for help and to intervene on behalf of the city. And our parak opens with Elisha telling this officer that Hashem has told Elisha that at this time tomorrow, there is going to be plentiful food uh, for all of the people of Shamron, that salvation will, uh, will arrive very, very soon. Previously, we had learned that the cost of even very low-grade food had skyrocketed in the city, and Elisha tells his officer that at this time tomorrow, you'll be able to, f- to buy such and such amount of fine flour for a shekel, right? Food is going to be inexpensive, which is to say it's going to be plentiful. And hearing this, the officer responds in a very dismissive and mocking fashion, uh, essentially saying, you know, when, when pigs fly, right? There, there's no chance that's going to happen. And Elisha once again reassures him that it will indeed happen. Uh, And then in response to his kind of dismissive attitude, he says, you're going to see it with your own eyes, but you are not going to eat from the bounty. Which is to say, he's telling this officer that he is going to die before he can actually benefit uh, from this salvation. And then our scene shifts dramatically to a most unusual place. We are told that there are four mitzoraim, people with the spiritual skin disease, tzara'as, who are living at the gate of the city. People who are afflicted with tzara'as can't live among the rest of the population. They're always pushed to the outskirts of a, of a city. They're living on the margins of society. And these people are, are we imagine these mitzoraim, not just people that are regular people that happen to be afflicted, but these are people that are on the margins of society in every respect. And these mitzoraim look at one another and they say, one way or another, we're going to die. Either we stay here and we're going to starve to death. If we go into the city, we'll starve to death. It's just a matter of time. We're, 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 we're a lost cause. Why not at least go down with a fight? Let's go and, and charge at, at, at the uh, Aramean encampment. And if we die, we die. Let's, let's, let's go down in a blaze of glory, right? And so... That's what they do. And they charge at the, the, the encampment of Aram, and much to their surprise, when they arrive, they find that all of the uh, Aramean soldiers have fled. The, the encampment is entirely deserted. And the Sefer tells us, fills in the, the, the gaps here, that a miracle had transpired. Hashem caused the Aramean army to hear um, a, a massive sound, the, the, this like huge imposing sound of what they interpreted to be the advancing army of some neighboring country, figuring that Shomron, that Israel had contracted one of their allies, paid one of their allies, perhaps Egypt, to come and to fight Aram on their behalf. So the Aramean soldiers, they flee, they take nothing with them. So they leave everything as it was. They're, they don't pack up and leave. It's just completely whatever was, was there remained, and the men just ran for their lives. And now these four Mitzoram have stamp, stumbled on a gold mine. They find everything right there, right? People were in the middle of eating their lunch. The food's on the table. They, they go and they start eating all of this food that they're finding in the tents, and they're finding tons of precious possessions that the men are starting to hoard, and they're, they're, they're hiding it. And they're, you know, it's, it's this, extremely 
kind of a joyous moment for these men, and, and we could well understand why someone who has been on the margins of society and living under the conditions that they had been living under for such a protracted time, we could well understand why they would behave in this way. But then the Mitzorahim come to the realization that they need to go and alert the city. They need to go and deliver this good news, which they promptly go and do. And that's, of course, important because we see that even these social outcasts who were marginal in every way, even they had this sense of conscience and duty and morality to put their own personal gain aside uh, and even though they stood much to gain to continue to uh, heap up and, and amass all of the wealth and the food, uh, nonetheless, they put their own, their own needs and wants aside, and they went and they delivered the good news to the city. Now, initially, the king is hesitant. He thinks this is a trap. We are, uh, he assumes, that we're going to open up the gates. People are going to flood out to go and eat. And then with our gates opened and all of our people exposed, Aram is going to pop out somewhere, ambush us, and completely wipe us out. But the king's servant then tells him, well, my lord, why don't you at least send out uh, a few horses, a few scouts to go and assess the situation? And uh, hearing that, the king is um, convinced. He does that. He sends out these, uh, these scouts and determines that indeed the entire Aramean army had entirely fled uh, and had done so in great haste. And so the gates of the city are flung open, the people run out, and they go and they retrieve all of this food and, and gold and silver. And of course, there has to be a tremendous amount of food in order to provide for this massive encampment. And so there's enough food for everyone. And indeed, just as Elisha had prophesied, just as he had foreseen and foretold, the cost of uh, such and such fine flour went down to, to, to be worth a shekel, which meant there was this great abundance. And the officer who doubted him, the officer who had initially gone to kill him and then had a change of heart and had this exchange with him, but had been um, very doubtful and dismissive of Elisha's prophecy. So he was actually the one who was charged with opening up the gate or overseeing the gate. And as you could well imagine, up with this news spreading, the people were very eager to leave the city and to go and to claim some of this food. And so the, the, the hordes of people started uh, just charging out of the gate and they trampled this officer and they killed him. So indeed, he lived to see the salvation, but he did not live to benefit from it personally. So everything that Elisha said came exactly to fruition to the letter and, uh, and a great miraculous deliverance was experienced. It's a, it's a really very powerful and very beautiful story. So ends the parak. As I noted... I'll just pick up on a small point, which leads to a broader point, and, uh, and that is that the king didn't initially want to have the gates open because he feared an ambush, but it was a servant who told him, why not send scouts? And of course, that's what he does, and this was uh, proved to be very good advice. And this idea of a, of a king or a very prominent leader thinking one thing and then being corrected by a servant is a kind of a motif. We see it over and over again. Naaman he got word to go to Elisha from this from this slave woman who this young girl who he had captured, uh, and then likewise later he was dismissive of Elisha's words, and it's his servant who tells him, "Why don't you try to dip in the in the Yardin?" We found the same idea with respect to the king of uh, of Aram previously coming up with a particular idea, thinking, "Oh, there's a spy among us," and then a servant says, "No, it's actually Elisha," so he's also being corrected. And now again, the king of Israel has a particular idea, and it's only the servant who has to correct him. So it, it's this. Uh, we, we find this time and again that these servants are correcting 
the, uh, the kings or the leaders. And I think that it, it develops a theme that we keep revisiting here. And that is a theme that's interested in power dynamics of who's empowered, who's disempowered, and themes around humility and salvation or success coming from unexpected and, and low places. Uh, we, we spoke most about that in the context of Naaman and Gehazi. And, and so uh, those things are, th- those themes keep coming up. And I think that those are the themes that are really right at the heart of this parak as well, where we find that the most disempowered members of society, people living at the margins, people who are spiritual, social, financial outcasts, it is particularly these people, the Mitzoraim, who are the vehicles of the salvation that Elisha foresees. And it also shows us that Hashem has many messengers for salvation. Right? The officer of Shomron, uh, he doubted Elisha that, that, that the salvation could happen. And we learn that not only is Hashem able to make it happen uh, and make it happen in the blink of an eye, but he's able to do it through the lowliest vehicles possible, the lowliest members of society. So it's a, it's a very powerful parak. Uh, it's a very inspiring parak. And of course, it's one with a beautiful message, and it's a parak that is very, very beautifully crafted. This is certainly uh, uh, a well-known and uh, one of my personal uh, favorites. If you have a few minutes and, and do not generally read through a parak, I want to encourage you to read through this parak. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful. It is, a, uh, it is one of the haftarot that we read. I hope you'll take that moment. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz, and happy learning.